With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to the Houston Innovators Podcast. I'm Natalie Harms, editor of Innovation Map. My guest for today is Jason Atiyeh, Senior Director of Membership at Greentown Labs and co-host of the Energy Tech Startups Podcast. Jason's background in energy innovation has spanned from corporate to startups and from Boston to Houston. He shares some of his thought leadership in the space, as well as his passion for Houston's future as a hub for energy innovation on the show today. Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. Good to be here. Um, it's it's been a long time coming. I, I'm used to seeing you around the ecosystem, and, and excited to to be here. I know we have a lot to chat about, and as we'll talk about later, it's your podcast pro. Um, so this should be a really great conversation. I'm putting you in the hot seat this time. But yeah, let's start how I I start all of my podcasts with my guest background. Uh, you have a very interesting perspective coming from all sides of the table from corporate and, and startup founding yourself, and now um, kind of the incubation side of energy tech startups. And you come from a, a Boston, you have uh, reference to the Boston ecosystem and now Houston too. So what really drew you to the industry and to startups in general? Yeah, you know, I, I work at that intersection of climate and energy today. Uh, but uh, when I was in school, I actually really liked engine systems. And engine systems means like jet engines or car engines. It's like a dynamic mechanical thing. Um, And I had the opportunity to work in corporate environments um, where they made engine systems. And I'll tell you what I do not like doing is working in factories at corporate environments. Um, It was, it it was interesting. It's where a lot of the work gets done. Um, I was responsible for shipping like $6 million of product at one point. Um, but man, everyone there like, did not have hair and I wanted to keep my hair. So I, I got out of that uh, pretty quickly. Um, but it also wasn't where the innovation was. And a lot of new technologies are more focused on uh, like energy reduction, emissions reduction, um, new energy. And, and so that's what really pulled me more into the climate side of things. And, and honestly, I'm excited by trying to figure out how to bring new things to market um, and it's not always obvious how new technology shows up in the ecosystem, but that's what makes it fun. And so that's how I ended up in, in new technology. And that's what really drew me up to Boston right out of school. Speaking of Boston, you got very involved early on with Greentown, uh, Greentown Labs, which headquartered in Boston, obviously came to Houston. And I know you're a big part of that. So tell me about mm-hmm. you know, how you got involved with Greentown at first. Um, and we'll start there. Yeah, so uh, Greentown is is one of those things where um, you know a, a business seems obvious in retrospect. Uh, there were there were four or five of us uh, who just really needed space up in the ecosystem. Uh, one of the entrepreneurs was subleasing space. He probably couldn't should have been subleasing, um, but we were all building stuff, all building stuff in energy and technology. Um, and at one point, our building was getting scheduled for demolition, so we had to find a new building. 
And the landlord looked at all of us and said, I don't want to deal with a bunch of small companies. I want one company, one check, one lease. Um, and so we said, okay, we're, we're going to make one company. And so uh, we formed, uh, I think, Greentown as an LLC. Each of us became subleases. And, and it was a way to make the rent work. But then over time, other startups and other founders heard about this thing where a bunch of founders were working together. They said, sign me up. Can I be here too? Can I take one or two seats? Um, and quickly we became 13 companies, 22 companies. Um, the rest is kind of history in a sense. But because I was there in the early days, um, I was helping out Jason Hanna, our, our first managing director, just like collecting checks, getting the Wi-Fi working. I think I was manning the one printer we had. Um, and it was very organic. And we hit this point where um, the organization had to grow. So we, we hired our, our former CEO and she came in and, and took it and built it to something big. And as we became more operational, I stepped onto the board, as, as did the rest of us early entrepreneurs. Um, and then some of us stepped away. And uh, as we grew our own startups. In my, my uh, startup, I was working on flare mitigation here in the energy industry. And that just naturally brought me to Houston. So I was, I was coming down to Houston two weeks uh, every month, um, trying to sell into the industry. Um, and found that I would always meet other entrepreneurs who worked in and around energy, worked in climate. Um, and they always used new one or two other folks working around climate and energy. Um, and if they weren't explicitly in oil and gas, they thought they were the only ones working on, on kind of new energy technologies. But when you would kind of piece these different kind of um, cohorts together, um, you realize there's actually a pretty vibrant um, you know, new energy climate tech community here in Houston. They just, there wasn't a place for them to come together. And uh, I would start hosting uh, energy bars, as we would call them, just happy hours where we would get people together and we could regularly get 30 to 50 entrepreneurs in a single room. And amazingly, we can get them to pay for their own beer. Usually you have to like bribe them a little bit with, with free tickets. Um, but what, what it told us is that uh, people wanted a community and they wanted to connect with other founders working on hard tech, working on these hard things. And when um, I was at Zero Week, I think in 2019, um, we started to hear a shift in tone with the kind of traditional energy companies where it, maybe not on the main stage, but in the back conference, people would, would start talking about climate. They would start talking about innovation and, and there would be conversations around how do we actually get involved in, in the energy transition. And, and that's when it, it told me the time was now to engage with Greentown and say, look, we got to bring the Greentown model to Houston because you, you kind of have two sides of this market. We know there are founders here working on technology. We know there's the buyers of technology, these big corporate uh, companies who, who want to consume and they want to start investing in a new way. Um, and there were uh, sponsorship dollars that, that can make it happen. And I think every city's proud of, out of who they are, but I think Houston especially, um, we're a city that likes to solve problems and we like to um, build things locally. And when presented the opportunity to help build an ecosystem here, um, members of the Houston ecosystem raised their hand and said, how can I help? Um, it's not always capital, but capital helped. Um, and we were able to put together uh, basically partnership dollars, um, which allowed us to replicate the, the Greentown model here in Houston. Um, we hired Juliana to, to lead the, the launch here. And um, uh, when we started building out that team, she said, Jason, you need to come help me do this. Um, I was in a place where my other startup was, was winding down. And I said, sure, this is the, the time to get involved. 
where we can really change the Houston landscape. And um, we've, uh, the metrics look good. Like we, we're now working with, I think, 85 companies uh, here in Houston, uh, Greentown, Houston. Um, and uh, those are companies and, and founders who range uh, from early stage technology uh, businesses. They're, they're usually doing technologies that are TRL four to seven, which means it's either on a bench top or it's almost a production unit, but somewhere in between. And then usually a company graduates out once they build a scale prototype. Um, and so we're, we're in this sweet spot. We're really able to foster innovation and get those technology companies to a point where they can kind of raise more financing and, and support themselves. And um, it's, it's, it's good enough that we're almost full uh, in Greentown, Houston, uh, from a desk's perspective. Um, and there's still more to build uh, in our ecosystem. Wow, I love that Greentown origin story. I had never heard about that. And it's funny how similar the, the Greentown and, and the clean tech systems in both Boston and Houston developed and, and your tie to both. Like, I think that's so cool. Mm-hmm. How has your role at Greentown evolved over the years? I mean, obviously from those early days, you talked a little bit about that, but what do you do on a basis these days? And how are you working with startups? Yeah, today, uh, I guess when we launched Houston, uh, it was just Juliana, myself and, and, and two interns. Uh, one of those interns actually came in um, and is working full-time with us now here in Houston, uh, Dan Cliff. Um, but uh, during that time, I was doing everything with Juliana. Juliana was, was, was leading the, the fundraising effort and working with partners. And I was cultivating the community, uh, brought together, our, I think, our 22 inaugural members, um, but was also running the construction project where we had to select the site, we had to select the vendor, we had to make it look and feel like Greentown in Boston. And a lot of that involved interfacing with my uh, Boston um, colleagues to say, okay, what, what do we do here? What is the best practice that, that we've learned over the years? What do we wish we could do differently when we're building a new building? And, and trying to replicate that look and feel. And that was a very inward focused um, project because it was as much about specifying requirements and then pulling the vendors through to make sure we got something built on time. Uh, when we opened, I think in April of 21, um, uh, we, we did a launch and then my uh, role changed pretty quickly to leading uh, member recruitment. And member recruitment is, is, is a sales function uh, fundamentally, um, but it's distinct from how we engage with partners. And um, in many ways, uh, we, we have two roles on the membership team. One is to identify a climate tech company that, that really fits in the sweet spot where we're able to help, but also delivers impact. And, and unfortunately, just the reality of resource constraint, we can't help everyone. Um, and we have to also develop a strategy where we can deliver the most impact. And so um, e- even just today at Greentown, we're having this discussion about what is climate tech. And that is different in Houston than it is in Boston. In climate tech, we, we focus a lot more on hydrogen. We focus on geothermal, CCUS, um, alternative, uh, alternative fuel, um, and, and battery technologies. And in Boston, the discussion is different. Climate tech uh, touches more into uh, different parts of resilience. It, it touches into offshore wind. Um, and, and the themes and, and interests are just different in, in different ecosystems. And, and so that's a question of how you deliver impact. I think underlying each of those, Impact means building big companies. Um, it, you might have a, a technology which reduces carbon, but if the business only ever becomes $5 million, how much are you really touching? And so we are putting a bigger lens today on saying, can we build, uh, identify and support and build those companies that are, 
that are going to become 50 to $500 million of, of evaluation and, and potential um, revenue. Um, and so a membership team today is, is trying to figure out how do we identify those early? How do we screen for those kinds of companies and give those, those folks a place to grow? The reality is that at an incubator like Greentown, it's, it's early enough that, um, you know, 20% of the companies may fit into that, that bucket and really take off. And that's the point of incubator. You're trying to give people a place to experiment and find that business model that really allows them to scale up. Um, in, in any given year, we're going to lose 10 to 20% of companies because the entrepreneur digs in and finds out this isn't a scalable business and, and they should go spend time on something else. And so um, we do our best to identify those companies, uh, but we also do our best to find folks who are really going through that path to discover quickly, is this business model scalable? I think that is a, probably the most interesting job at Greentown is to see these companies <laughs> like kind of be able to see them, you know, make or in their make or break at time. Like it's, it's such a real, real thing that, you know, some startups don't, don't, make it and then some mm-hmm. being able to spy the, the potential in ones that you see sounds really fun and really maybe stressful but maybe fun because you're on the outside of those companies um yeah it's it's a lot more fun when you don't have to worry about payroll so i'll tell you that much yeah. yeah exactly uh so i think with your background coming from the boston ecosystem and, and now being here in, in houston i wonder what your perspective is how uh, with those two ecosystems and it's a very collaborative relationship between Greentown Boston and Greentown Houston. So what have you observed from those two ecosystems? Are they similar? You kind of mentioned that some mm-hmm. of the types of companies are different um, within Greentown, but are, do they complement each other? Do are, is, are there lessons that can be learned from, from each ecosystem? Yeah. Uh, in, in many ways, the Houston ecosystem is just uh, less developed or further behind in terms of its maturity. Um, and and we, we, we knew that when we were coming into Houston because uh, we knew we could really create a difference here. Um, I, I don't think it's fair to say if it's 10 years behind or, or what. There's not really a, a, an ordinal number. Um, but one of the things we find in the Boston ecosystem is entrepreneurs get a lot of support before they get to Green Tile Labs. Um, they, they can hit every competition or accelerator um, and usually have mentoring and funds before they get to, to us. Um, and a lot of those technology companies end up coming out of universities where they also have a lot of, of education. And, and that's a new maturity. There, there are accelerators, there are classes, there, there's a different level of experience folks have before they, they get to a green town. And we see that in the amount of funds they've raised. So I think a typical green town company um, in Boston has raised about $700,000 um, before they get to us. Um, and uh, their teams also tend to be folks right out of school. So I think it's like 50 to 60% of them are, are kind of college derivative or university derivative um, teams. Um, and and then, so they got a lot of those training behind them and they're ready to go off and build these big technologies uh, and uh, they have different challenges. Um, in Houston, that ecosystem isn't as well developed. Uh, there, there's only a handful of accelerators. I think the Rice uh, Clean Energy Accelerator just announced its cohort of 15 um, uh, this last week. And, and not everyone get, gets to do that. And there are not a lot of other accelerators you can go to if you don't get into those marquee ones. Um, so that's one major difference here. And then the other difference is the average entrepreneur is mid-career here in Houston, which is kind of what we want, right? We, we want energy transition professionals to take those skills they have from the traditional energy industry, find the problem they want to solve and, and apply it. 
Um, but what it means is the technology is different. Uh, usually they're developing solutions. Usually they know a customer. They know exactly what they want to build and sell. Um, and it means they can raise money faster. But when they come to Greentown, they might only have $200,000. But some of our just successful Houston stories uh, are with those founders who are just like, they know exactly what they're doing. They almost don't need the classes in the same way um, from a fundamental basis. Uh, they know exactly what they need to build. But you can also see how they have kind of less um, familiarity with some of the, the language we use in, in the Boston ecosystem. So when we talk about like cap tables and, and setting up early employment contracts, um, there's just like a, a um, you know, missing piece of knowledge sometimes where um, I forget that I had to be taught these things uh, about building a startup, which are almost secondhand because part of my introduction into the startup ecosystem. We don't necessarily have that same education piece here these mid-career folks who, who who do have a lot of business experience, but just not those same fundamentals that we see with uh, folks in Boston. Um, so it is an interesting dichotomy. Um, and, and I think people, you know, there's a lot to learn about the two different um, populations, I guess. Um, and, and one of the biggest things is uh, mid-career folks know the industry really well um, and um, have an opportunity to really engage with those technologists and, and both uh, teach them you know, these are technologists we have in Boston, um, teach them about markets, teach them about how energy gets made here in Houston. Um, but then it goes the other way. It provides a lot of opportunity to collaborate, to get um, uh, some of this technology out into the market where maybe a, a technologist can focus on their just their widget, but they still need commercialization partners um, to bring things up to market. And um, I, I think that collaboration is really strong. When you pair like a market, a knowledgeable market person is really defensible technology, um, you can really create um, meaningful businesses. I think something that was very clear with establishing Greentown Houston was just how I, I don't think Greentown intended to employ a, a copy and paste type of formula. So what, how, how did you help being someone who has worked in both ecosystems? Um, what did you see as being the most important difference maybe uh, in, in setting mm -hmm. up Houston location inspired by, but maybe not a duplicate of the Boston one. Yeah. In, in some ways it meant doubling down on community um, and creating that connective tissue between the, the founders and CEOs. Um, and in part, that's because the teams are smaller here. Um, and uh, one of the things I always tell people is starting a company is lonely. I mean, if you have to do it from home, it's, it's like you, your dog and your significant other. Those are the only people you get to meet on a on a daily basis. And sometimes you want to get out of the house. Um, having a community to go to just helps with making the entrepreneurial experience more fun, but it also gives you a chance to, to learn from others, share ideas, share just your consternation of the day. Um, and so one of the things, some of the things we do here that are a little different is we do uh, like affinity dinners. Um, uh, Kendrick, our, our community manager did a great job putting together a, a women of Greentown event where uh, we, we pull together our female founders some folks from industry um, and, and give them a chance to connect and, and communicate um, in a way that's just different. Um, and and that, that builds a strong community. We also do like founders dinners by week. Kendrick does it. He does a great job pulling it together. Um, and uh, that's built a strong, a strong community where a lot of the CEOs know each other. And we can do that because the community is smaller in some ways. Like we only have 85 CEOs. Like everyone can kind of know everyone. In Boston, it's different because we have like 150 folks out there. Their teams are bigger. And so they're a lot more inward looking. 
and, and so the way we deliver programming is a little different. Um, and I, I think it's, it's reminiscent of the early days of Greentown in Boston. And, and so that was something where I was able to translate in terms of um, the services we deliver and the focus we deliver to the, the members here. And, and that's what creates the goodwill, creates the word of mouth. Um, when, we, uh, when we meet new entrepreneurs here in the Houston ecosystem and, and, and really anywhere, um, there's always that, that reference to another entrepreneur who said, hey, go, go check this out because it's, it's a great place to, to be and, and to build your business. Um, and that comes from really cultivating that community. Well, I think a, a testament to that is you go to a Greentown panel and there's like, let's say there's four different companies. Um, this is literally what happened a couple of weeks ago where some people on the panel hadn't met in person because they like maybe they uh, don't have necessarily a dedicated desk. They're just part of the community. Others kept referencing other startups that weren't there. It's like you have this really great intersection point where for two people, two two founders were meeting right there at this like at Greentown programming, and then others were talking about I don't know, like I I don't know that a lot of ecosystems you'd go to a, an event where the founders are talking about other people's companies rather than just their own. Like I think that's a a true testament. <laughs> All yeah. the given. <laughs> well, and I think that 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 shows the kind of like intimacy that happens when you, when we have like these closed door uh, sessions where we get the CEOs together. Um, like we do CEO roundtable, we do a pitch practice where it's just the, the CEOs together. Um, and so they really get to know each other really well. And uh, uh, it, it is funny. I, I remember we started to host events again right out of uh, COVID. And, and just like you were describing with the, the members, CEOs um, seeing each other for the first time, even when we bring corporate uh, partners together, um, they were oftentimes meeting each other face to face for the first time since COVID at Greentown. Because that's a lot of what we do. We we bring communities together, be it on the corporate side or bring on the the startup side, but uh, bringing those those folks who want to bring innovation to market, and uh, that ends up being the, uh, just showing up in the events we build, uh, and that's a, a core function for us, um, and it makes it fun. Well, seeing that, and, and we mentioned at the the top of this episode is you are a podcast pro, and you work very closely with startups both in your capacity at Greentown and with your podcast. So tell me about Energy Tech Startups, the podcast that you host with Lara Cottingham, your coworker and, and now co-host, right? Um, yep. What drew y'all to, you know, sitting down and deciding to start this podcast? Yeah, no, it, it, it was definitely something where um, as an entrepreneur, when you feel a gap in the market, sometimes you just feel it in your bones and you got to do something about it. And uh, we, whenever we would uh, meet people, um, one of the common, I guess, criticisms of Houston, now, I'm pointing to Houston like Houston has the ability to, to do this as a single person, um, but if Houston isn't viewed as a cool place to build a company um, if you don't know like how good it is to be here. And I, I think this is always a common question uh, of like, why, why Houston, right? Why do people come here? And, and some people come here because they want to get engaged with the energy businesses. Um, but the reality is Houston has a lot going for it as a place to build a business and, and we're not going to do things the Silicon Valley way, right? We, we do things a Houston way. We build new technology and energy. We're building big projects. Um, and, and the funny thing about Houstonians is I find a lot of times they're very understated with what they achieve and what they accomplish. I'm like, it's no big deal. Um, but it is a big deal. And uh, part of marketing is you just got to tell the world about what you do uh, and, and share it. So the premise of energy tech startups is to say, okay, 
we're, we're building an energy ecosystem here. Energy and climate are kind of two sides of the same coin. Um, and uh, people working on these energy technologies are making the choice to either come to Houston or build it in Houston. They made the choice not to go to Silicon Valley. They made the choice not to go to Boston um, because there's a lot to it. And so, yes, we want to talk about technology, but we also want to talk about their deliberate decision to stay in Houston and, and why the Houston ecosystem um, is so good from their eyes. And, and it's, it's fun. I will say we're at 20 episodes. I, I had hoped we had been at like 40 by now. And it seems like I'm on a cadence where one comes out every other week. Um, when something isn't your, your core uh, role, it, it can be a little bit of a struggle to say, okay, I'm gonna, I gotta get this out every week. But um, we're, I'm pretty excited about the, the folks we have lined up for the next few months. Um, Laura is on, um, on summer break right now in Hawaii. We're all slightly jealous. Uh, and so I've been co-hosting uh, with a guest host, uh, Nada Ahmed, um, and she's been stepping in um, and it's been a lot of fun to do the show with her as well. Um, but it's the same you know, premise. How do we tell that Houston story? So when other folks look at the map and say, where do I want to build my business? They, they have a way to see that, that Houston is, is a place that should end up. I love it. And I, I really hope everyone listening goes and checks it out because it's so in line with what I'm doing um, with this podcast, just a few episodes ahead. And by a few, we're almost at 200 now. So um, yeah. I, that happened. I blinked and it's two, almost 200 episodes. But yeah, so I think it's it's really cool. Co- if you can't get enough Houston Innovators podcast, this is like, this is exactly in line because some, such similar conversations, obviously more broadly, but innovators does more broadly, but you're zeroed in on, on energy tech. So that's really exciting. What's been the most surprising thing of the process of, I know you said you, you wish you'd be even doing even more, but um, with these conversations that you're having, which are, they're significant, like they're an hour long episode. So that's, you're really diving in. So what's been kind of the most fun part of that process, most enlightening? Yeah, I, I love nerding out on technology so, and, and, and I could go really deep on it. And, and sometimes, um, yeah, I'll pull it back and um, ask people to explain. And, and so I, I always have to remind myself, okay, anytime jargon comes up, it needs to be explained. Anytime there's a, an acronym, um, it needs to be explained. Um, and, and I don't, I don't know if anyone else like, like nerds out as much as I want to. Um, and, uh, it's hard to get feedback, um, uh, from a, a podcast. Um, cause I don't know if it's going to be boring until we, we launch it and see how many people download it. Um, so that like lack of a feedback loop, I think has has been a, a challenge, and, and that's just me wanting to to build a good product. Um, but I think the other thing that's uh, surprising to me is um, how much other people like I, I don't expect to listen actually tell me they listen, um, and, it, and that's just a nice um, piece because when a podcast goes into ether, you don't see who's downloading it. It is it is out there. But um, I I just heard from a a random friend I hadn't talked to in three years um, tell me he like he lives in LA and he was listening to the podcast. So it's in some ways it's good because it means we are you know having an audience that's outside of Houston. Um, but it's those little things around like the distribution of a podcast that are interesting to me. From uh, from the startup side of things, I think when we um, ask people about what they think is special about Houston, um, diversity comes up a lot and. I think coming from uh, the East Coast, I think diversity inclusion is, is, is a in vogue conversation today. We live it here in Houston, right? And I think we, it, it's it's almost not news that uh, the, the majority of Houstonians are mi- from a minor- minority background or come from somewhere else. And um, 
a lot of folks will ask me sometimes, when did you become a Houstonian? And I'll tell them it's when I survived my first climate crisis, which was Harvey for me. Um, and I think that's kind of the defining factor for most people. Um, you know, we're a city where we're the best, you know, energy uh, folks are drawn to because it really is the energy capital. And um, the, it was surprising to me that that uh, this is a very common theme among, amongst founders because I also view it as just something that's true, right? It's just part of everyday life here in Houston. People are from everywhere. Um, and the need to call it out kind of doesn't, it isn't top of mind for me, but just given where the conversation is today, like Houston's living in the future in, in many ways because we already have that diversity here of skills, diversity of, of the viewpoint um, and, and diversity of origin. Well, this might be having you repeat yourself, but I think it's it's always fun for me to to meet non-native Houstonians because I'm a native and I always I'm obsessed with Houston. I'm the biggest fan of Houston. Um and I wonder where like I have a lot of, I guess, loyalty to my hometown, but like what mm-hmm. is your passion for the city? Because you know, you created a whole podcast on on highlighting startups and their love for Houston or, or, or that thesis. So so yeah, tell me about what drives your passion for the city. Yeah, you know, I, I think um, when a city comes together, it, it's 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 like this. It's a surreal moment, um, and I think we see saw that when we see that through our climate crises here. So, like with Harvey, um, just seeing people kind of drop everything to uh, address those in need, be it delivering food or you know after the waters receded, um, knocking down drywall so that people could save their houses. Um, that really brings people together, and it's it's almost that um, that I don't know common suffering is probably the wrong way to describe it, but that that unity that's what I'm looking for that unity that really pulls people together that that is unique, um, and it's that special community we have here in Houston that I think is hard to replicate elsewhere because because of that diversity we go back to because we have that common experience of being in this this city, but I also so so there's that that aspect of of being in a in a city that's living on on the forefront of like climate challenges, um, but I think the other thing is um, we have a lot of people here who like to work on hard things, and and be that be it you know being part of the moonshot of, of putting people on the moon to um, addressing the the energy challenges, like I I appreciate that uh, people here are are willing to focus on the hard work, really make challenging decisions with with uh, sophisticated analysis and a lot of information, um, and then they go off and build it. And um, not every not every city has that same kind of culture. Um, and, and I'll tell you, like, there's a reason I don't live in San Francisco. It's a different kind of culture. I, I don't think I would enjoy it as much. But I I just enjoy the, the I find out a lot of like-minded people here um, who really want to take the challenge of of, tr- of going through the energy transition. Um, and, and that's that's where my passion lies. Is is just the right people um, working on hard things together and, and, and kind of taking it as, as challenges emerge um, and, and doing so with a lot of grace. Yeah, I think that is such a great transition topic too, because what I want you to talk about next is the hard things we still have to do when it comes to, you know, the energy transition. I think there's been more and more conversation about the future of Houston as an energy leader. And I think it's so dependent on what happens and, and 
who steps up to the plate and and how things pan out within this energy transition. So with talking about all of the great things of Houston now, let's be a little critical. And where do you see Houston's role in this energy transition from your perspective? Yeah. What, what challenges lie ahead to establishing that? Yeah. So the challenge with energy is like energy is, is power. It's the ability to, to do work, right? It's, it's something that um, we don't think about, right? It just comes out of the power outlet. When you, when you flip on the light, it's always there. But we have this amazing machine that delivers this energy to your, to your power outlet. It's always on, it's always reliable, and it's cheap. Um, and, and yes, we're going through like uh, a, a, a heat advisor right now, or they might flip off the power. Um, but we've become so dependent on it uh, that you know, any disruption really disrupts everything. And, and I think there's a lot to admire that um, these systems get delivered to us reliably at a low cost. And so the energy industry, rightly so, is is, is very risk averse, right? Like if there's anything they must do, it's deliver that power on time. Um, uh, and it's like magic. And so w- when it comes to uh, the energy transition, we're asking an, ener- uh, an entire industry to change what it delivers be it massive amounts of electricity with electrification or new molecules, you know, if we're moving away from gasoline to, to something else. Um, and the people in it want to make that transition without a disruption of service, right? Because I think that, you know, there's the real challenges that happen when, when you lose power, right? If, if you don't have a backup battery like I do, uh, that means the air conditioning goes off, right? Or if you lose gasoline, like you can't get out, of, you, know, you can't commute. And so that I think that the people who work in the energy industry take a lot of pride with the reliability of, of service delivery. And so um, what does that mean for Houston? Well, Houston has a lot of skills uh, in terms of knowing how to navigate big projects, knowing what the requirements are uh, to deliver things at work. Um, and in, in some ways, they, uh, the people who are responsible for, um, for that uh, you know, they're, they're pulled in multiple directions. And so there's a lot of stakeholder balancing that, that takes place. Luckily, like, when there's a will, there's a way. And, and generationally, I think the, the, the millennials who are working in a lot of these businesses um, are saying, we, we want to pick solutions that are low carbon. We want to pick solutions that, that are, are alternative energy. And, and we're going to spend the time to balance all of these um, different stakeholder requirements. And we're going to spend extra time to make sure the you know, there is a way to bring, uh, you know, new technologies to bear. Um, and it, it's amazing to me how many um, millennials I run into in energy companies today who, um, you know, want to make a difference, are willing to put capital resources against a, a better solution. And if their leadership doesn't um, allow them to do that, um, they go find a new company to, to build, uh, to start or to work for. And so it's it's that um, transit that workforce that that drives things, and I think um, that can-do attitude in Houston will allow us to continue to move forward in the energy transition, even if legacy companies, you know, for good reason, have to be hesitant. Um, in terms of of maintaining that kind of leadership, um, the the biggest challenge of deploying new technology is um, getting it to more than one customer. Um, it's it's kind of easy to get a pilot. Uh, with one one customer, especially if like you know someone and their your uncle, um, but getting it to your your second or third customer where it's a demonstrable pilot where you can tell people about it and tell people why it works, why it's better, is is kind of the biggest challenge for an entrepreneur, and that's, and that's where a lot of the value in a startup gets created. 
Um, the biggest thing I think uh, uh, legacy companies can do is to to do a pilot with a company and let them talk about it and let them share kind of the achievements um, and be open about why things don't work uh, when they don't work. Um, and uh, it, it takes real money. Like a, even a pilot for, I'm going to say a $50,000 product, um, if it's the size of a, of a, of a small car, there's probably a million dollars of work that goes in and around it to make it successful in the field, be it engineering time, uh, be it uh, uh, folks who check quality and, and regulatory concerns. Um, and, and that work is required to make sure that that pilot is successful. Um, and I think uh, when you get everyone kind of pulling these pullets through and, and putting the right resources to work, um, you'll have these successful deployments. Doing pilots on the cheap doesn't work because inevitably you don't address all these complex stakeholders and, and that leads to a failure. Um, so taking that kind of time and resources to address risk um, as, as, it, as it is, um, as it presents itself, and ends up being um, the right way to bring technology to market. Luckily, the energy industry is actually pretty good at doing that. We just got to be willing to talk about the successes and failures um, to accelerate that deployment. Yeah, I think when you talk about the energy transition as a whole, there's obviously a lot of seats at that table for the discussion. Um, obviously, the policy side, the, the future of work and the um, university side, and we talked a little bit just now about the startup side and especially that startup corporate relationship. And all of those entities have a seat at the table at Greentown too, especially. The, so I, I wonder from, if we're going to zero in on just the corporate side of things, because I think I agree, like it's really hopeful when you look at the startups that are coming out of Greentown for example, uh, and the, the future impact they'll have on the industry as a whole. But what makes you optimistic about kind of the incumbent energy corporations, you know, stepping up and, and being a part of the energy transition just with how they interact with Greentown, maybe as an example? Yeah, well, I think um, the fact that they're at the table is like a, is a big factor. Right? People are, are, are trying to figure out how they navigate their strategy, how to adopt new technology, um, right. When you think about organizations like Hetty at the Greater Houston Partnership and at Greentown, we have a lot of partners. And um, when we bring the partners together, we, we do a, like an advisory, we call it an advisory board, but it's like a round table. And the, the partners come because they want to see new technology and they want to understand what's going on. But equally important for them is they want to learn how their peers are adopting new technology and understanding the best practices in this this spans legacy energy companies, like in oil and gas, to utilities and power generation companies. Um, and there's a desire to try and, and, and figure out what works. Um, th that's how you know they're gonna solve the problem because they're, they're, they're benchmarking themselves internally. They're, there's, they're um, uh, learning from each other um, and deploying those learnings um, within their own organizations. And, kind of as that collective information gets shared, that tacit knowledge, like we're only going to get better at, at bringing, you know, technology markets. That being said, we're still really behind as, as, a, as a society, not just Houston. I was, I was looking somewhere at one of these, um, I think it was a McKinsey report, uh, predicting how much capital needed to be deployed to hit our, our net zero goals for 2050. And, and the, the CapEx for new technologies is it's just not there. We're like, I think 20% of where the target should be. And some of that's because the technology isn't quite there. And some of it's because um, companies have to balance their like cash flow requirements. Um, 
but but a chunk of it's because that technology you know needs to be put into a system that must be reliable and must be low cost and the the legacy energy companies are still trying to figure out how do we how do we balance these requirements um the worst thing you know you want to have happen in in these kind of industries is to have the the pendulum swing too far and that you you invest in a lot of kind of high profile failures because you didn't do the work ahead of time to identify the right way to bring things to market um, and we saw that with kind of climate tech 1.0 in the early 2000s, where there was like an overinvestment in such technologies, and um, it didn't return for investors. And, and I think we're we've learned from that, and we're going to uh, do it better this time. Yeah, and I think something that you said earlier too about you know the slow adoption for energy companies is is always a big concern because at the end of the day, they have what they need to do mm-hmm. today tomorrow and this week, but they are aware that there's going to both this, you know, dual challenge of more energy for the world, but also cleaner energy for the world. So I, I feel like it's just everyone kind of like looking over their shoulders, like how much is too much? What's too little like to do as, as a corporation? And it's just. Yeah. But, but to, to give a counterpoint, I think the technical nature of our energy companies, they're such that they actually share information decently well. And and when you look at the shale revolution, right? The shale revolution is, you know, maybe we're 15 years in now, um, but those are real flipping point where, where at some, where every oil company, every gas company was was trying this, you know, this new strategy for lateral fracking, um, and uh, they were trying to figure out what what generated positive return. Um, and uh, at a certain point, the numbers flipped, and people realized these wells deliver very well. Um, and they're financially superior to more conventional uh, drilling and stimulation methods. And, and the in- industry flipped. It was like 90% of, you know, CapEx went to this new technology that was only uh, the, the combination of technologies that became modern unconventionals is only like 10 years old um, because it worked, right? And so when this industry does the testing and sees the performance um, and, it, and it generates the returns they need, um, there's a lot of capital to come in to uh, transform the the way oil gets made. And guess what? They were so successful. The price of oil like was not very high <laughs> for very long because they were able to bring on all this capacity um, with this, you know, this, this fracking technique. Um, what the reason I bring that up is, you know, when, when they look at um, alternative energy technologies and when things really work and they really generate returns, when the data is there, they will flip, these energy companies will flip over. They will make the choice. Um, and, and something can be more profitable for a number of reasons. It can be financially profitable, which a lot of these new technologies are, but it can also be profitable because it doesn't have a carbon tax attached to it or because it, it, it generates um, additional returns for other parts of the business that uh, in the ESG side of things. And, and I think that the energy companies are very good at looking at that, but they want to see the data. And so part of bringing technology out there goes back to what I said about pilots. You have to have a pilot where you can show the data because then the industry can know to adopt it. I guess it's just a tiny bit of that chicken or the egg situation. Yes. If the data is there, numbers show, then everyone's going to flip. But like, if we need people to support the company startups that are developing the technology that could potentially deliver on that data. Um, So yeah, but it's a, it's happening, I think, is is what you're saying, is it, it's the, the stars are aligning in, in that way for more opportunities and, and technologies. But 
The downside is like, it's not going to be one technology like shale. It's going to be, oh, yeah. it's going to be a combination of, of technology. So that's also really exciting because it's a lot of uh, potential for different companies and startups. And hopefully some of them will be uh, from Houston. No, it, 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 it's, it's definitely exciting. I, there's kind of a, you know, an old joke here in Houston. Um, uh, it, all the energy companies are racing to be second, like in terms of pilots or deployments. So they, want, they don't want to be the ones to go first. And it's uh, it's just part of that mentality here. Yeah, I've definitely heard that. Well, Jason, thank you so much for joining me today. This was really fun to talk to you about all of these different things and to to hear your perspective because you you have such a unique one. And uh, I really appreciate everything that Greentown is doing and everything you're doing for Greentown. So thank you so much. Yeah, it's good to be here. Thank you, Natalie. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Houston Innovators Podcast. Don't forget to hit subscribe so you don't miss next week's edition and check out innovationmap.com for the latest Houston startup and innovation news. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.